If you look up the, in the dictionary, the word believe, it begins with an expression that the state of feeling certain about the truth of something. But if you follow it a little further, it talks about people who believe in something deeply, take on the world with greater energy and determination. And Winston Churchill, when asked by his troops, what is his leadership style? His response was, before you can inspire with emotion, you must be swamped with it yourself. Before you can move their tears, your own must flow. And to convince them, you must yourself believe. Jed Ayers, in a video on the, on the website of his company called iGEP, in speaking to the camera and speaking to his employees, he said, and I quote, we believe in the power of positivity. We believe we can come together like never before to help others in this critical time. And we believe in a servant's heart. It's core to our culture and our values. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. My guest today is Jed Ayers, CEO of iGEL. Jed, welcome aboard. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm uh, very happy to be here, Chuck. Um, hello from California. Indeed. In fact, I do want to say, while we have many of our listeners that come in on the radio, we have lots of people who also watch us, either on my YouTube channel, my website, or on a climbtothetop.com. And for those of you who are watching this, if we look a little bit different than what you're accustomed to, is we are doing this virtually. The ABC studios closed uh, when the world was put on pause in early March, and it is a pleasure to welcome Jed via Zoom into this radio show. So Jed, th thank you. Um, tell us about iGEL in case our viewers don't know who you are. Uh, but actually iGEL is a German company that's been around for two decades, and uh, they started out actually building thin clients, which is you know uh, some people operating system that sits on those types of devices and gives you the best experience. And uh, yeah, I, I had the pleasure of bringing the company into the US four years ago. Uh, and in February, I was uh, made the CEO of the company as we've doubled the size of the company in the last four years and uh, transformed it from a hardware company, one that was fairly unknown outside of Europe, to one that's much more uh, globally recognized and is uh, playing a part in this uh, whole new world of delivering uh, everything out of the cloud. Where you're from, and I'd love to hear a little bit about your, as you were coming of age, what helped you to develop the mindset of what you said earlier, we believe in a servant's heart? Yeah, well, I, uh, I grew up in a small town in Northern California, about three and a half hours uh, north of the Golden Gate Bridge, a town called Mendocino, out in uh, the Redwood Trees. I grew up actually on a small apple farm and uh, both my parents were school teachers and uh, part of the uh, the economy of this town was around bed and breakfasts and hotels and serving people that would come to this beautiful location for a vacation right um, so I I early on in my career were, was a waiter a bellman a, a dishwasher and you know kind of worked my way up through this hospitality uh, space and so very early in my career, just actually also part of just how my parents raised me. It was always around, you know, leaving places better than you found them, treating people the way you want to be treated. And 
ultimately in hospitality, it's about serving people and doing that from a good place. So um, my way through college, I went to Sonoma State uh, and then I went to SF State and, you know, got involved in technology. Uh, and that has been a gift um, probably since the mid 90s, right around the time the Internet uh, you know, started to be pervasive and changed the world as we know it. Um, I made this lucky pivot and, uh, and entered into the world of technology. And, Yet even uh, though you were on technology, you, to become a CEO, you've got to do a lot of things. And one of the things, in spite of the fact that you may have a lot of other people that are focusing on technology, give us a day of the life of the CEO. Just what are, what are the things that concern you throughout that day? Well, I think the most important thing uh, is people, right? Making sure that um, the 450 people we now have in this company um, are getting the things they need to dr drive towards the success that we want to have together collectively. So a lot of my time is spent checking in with the core leadership and making sure that um, the teams have what they, what they need to help us succeed, right? And we have a theory at IGEL around the three Ps. It starts with people you know, making sure that we hire and retain the best people we possibly can and we empower them, uh, building the best product we can, right? Uh, innovating and, you know, obviously in the world of software and tech, it's all about innovation. This industry respects innovation above anything else, right? It's not a, uh, a heritage business in any respect, right? It's, it's, it's all about staying on that innovation curve. And so we invest there and then, uh, you know, the one thing I would say on the fourth, the third P for us is this idea of a plan. And that's been part of the success of this American German journey that I've been on in the last four years with a nine hour time zone difference and 200 of our 400 people sitting in Germany, most of the leadership uh, in Germany. It's been about, okay, let's build a blueprint. Um, let's understand who does what in that blueprint uh, and let's inspect it daily, weekly, quarterly. Uh, annually, but the, it's really been about having this prescriptive plan. Not that it's you know set in stone, but it's sort of a guidepost for us. And um, you know, so, yeah. I, I remember about reading the story is they came to America, didn't go so well, and then they came to America again, and it didn't go so well. And you were a hire four years ago, if I have the dates right. In 2016, they hired you. There was no question in reading the results about what happened at that turning point. It was transformative for IGEL. It must have been transformative for you. Because the cultural considerations of what happened to IGEL when they came to America, and then I want to expound a bit as what happened to IGEL when you finally took hold. Yeah, well, I would say, uh, first of all, just when I first uh, heard about iGel, I was probably like a lot of your listeners had never heard of iGel. Um, you know, it was sort of this unknown company. And then when you did sort of look at it just from a, you know, if you went to the website and looked at it, it was like, okay, this is a German company. They build hardware and uh, they're in this sort of slow growth minority kind of use case of virtualizing Windows applications, which wasn't the sexiest place to be in 2016, right? In the world of big data and artificial intelligence and all these other kinds of things, virtualizing windows, it's not uh, in the front of anyone's, you know, kind of uh, career trajectory. And I guess what I would tell you is I, I met the founder and I started to really try to understand what is it that he was sitting on, the core IP. And what he, what he really had was this Linux operating system that was, yes, shrouded in this dumb terminal hardware, 
and uh, he couldn't articulate it in English, which obviously is the native you know, tongue of IT. So part of the, the sort of exciting moment for me was there's a lot of people that couldn't see this, right? It was sort of like the house on the block that was the rundown house, but in the great neighborhood, right? That had good bones. And so, um, you know, despite advice from a bunch of um, people I would consider mentors that said, run away from this, you know, it's German, it's hardware, it's VDR. I, I looked at it and said, wow, this is a, a true opportunity, right? And I, I believed in the founder. I believed in what he had. I talked to customers. I talked to partners. I talked to employees. And I started to realize, wow, this is a hidden gem. And so that was the journey that I, I went on, right? That said, I, have con I, I gained conviction that I could do something that no one else saw, right? And it was an underdog kind of role, too, because the biggest competitors of, we were fighting against at the time were HP and Dell. These aren't companies you really want to mess with, right? They're 80 billion, $56 billion companies. So um, it, was a, it was a remarkable moment when I realized, okay, I'm by myself in an attic in San Francisco, uh, and I'm, I'm going to figure out how to um, you know, go from irrelevant to um, disrupting an entire category. So yeah, it takes some you know, conviction. I think it goes back to this idea of you got to believe in something, right? You have to have an idea that this sort of childhood kind of mentality that nothing's impossible. Right. And if you can dream it, you can build it, you can realize something um, amazing. Yet, because when the CEO talked about that journey, that you were met with a healthy degree of skepticism. The German CEO talked about in one of your videos called Believe, which I really enjoyed. He talked about in Germany, we measure and we look at things and we analyze two, three, four, five times. And then we're so exhausted in the end, sometimes we actually forget to do anything. Yet he talked about the American culture being 85% there. Can you discuss about 85 to 15 and the sensibility you brought as to how you're going to set the tone from the American cultural perspective? Yeah, well, I, first of all, I would just tell you I've, over the four years of being at Agile, I've, I've gained a healthy degree of, of respect for <laughs> the German uh, rigor and sort of the personality, right? And you mix yep. the two together, you end up with a fantastic result. Right. And so, yes, uh, part of the German kind of heritage is, uh, you know, they don't want to fail, right? They want it to be perfect. They build engines. They want them to last for 500,000 miles, right? right. Um, and they they uh they're fastidious about this right and so americans especially in tech they're sort of like it's a badge of honor almost to have failed uh as long as you've learned along the way and you've you know changed cha changed and updated your thinking it's okay to fail it's actually almost you know prerequisite to be able to talk about your failures and what you learned from it right and so i think that's part of the speed and the sort of boldness and the american side of it right that said like look we have something amazing. You've been working on it for two decades. We're going to move forward aggressively and re, you know, re, reimagining this in the market. And yeah, we shocked some of the Germans along the way as some of the largest retailers in the world and some of the largest banks and hospitals in the, in the entire world just started to see iGel as this amazing piece of software that could save them money and not make them throw away old PCs, drastically reduce. We have a customer that had 500 people managing their endpoints. They went from 500 to five. Um, you know, make them more secure, ultimately deliver a better experience. So like when they started to see that at a scale that they could have never imagined, and in use cases they could have never imagined, like 
NASA using IGEL to go from Houston to the International Space Center for their, their collaboration technology, all of a sudden their eyes were open to like, hey, this is a, an amazing piece of software and it, it's got, uh, you know, um, you, we're going to work with the Americans, right? Because uh, this is going so well. So yeah, it's, it's like any other relationship. You earn credibility along the way. And I think we earned that. But at the end of the day, it was really about people coming together, right? And respecting each other, having empathy for each other. And I can tell you, you know, for me, it was challenging with the number of vacation days and the hours that were worked. At first, it was like, this is not the American way. Uh, but then, you know, you realize over time, like, we have to respect these positions. And yeah, we come from different places, but we're on the same path together. And, uh, and of course, the results speak for themselves. We're the fastest growing company in this space. By a long margin, we've grown at double and triple digits, you know, kind of numbers that, um, you know, hard to argue with. You are listening to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm Chuck Garcia. My guest this evening is Jed Ayers, CEO of IGEL. Jed, I want to change the focus just a bit, and I want to make it more personal. And to those who are viewing us, you will notice that Jed has a T-shirt that says believe, and I am very proud to be able to display the same. Because even though this is one word, there is a gentleman on your website, and he's your chief customer officer, and his name is Simon Richards. And in a video about believe, Simon said the following, if you're in front of a customer and you have inset belief about what your product does, it comes across to the customer. That confidence comes across rock solid, it doesn't let you down. Jed, I'd like to view though, I'd like the listeners to hear the more personal side about how you were feeling, the confidence, the conviction, the twists and turns as you were four years ago leading up to the top, to the CEO. Lead us through that, the vulnerability, all of those things that caused you to question and ultimately believe that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, well, I guess part of it comes from this underdog position, right? Where you're, uh, you're sort of, ha you have to, by, de by definition, believe that you can make it through this, right? And so that was sort of the founding piece of it. And yes, Simon, uh, as you mentioned in that video, he's the one that recruited me, right? So he actually embodies that fourth P that we talk about, the underlying component uh, that you can't do the, you can't recruit good people, you can't build a great product, you can't have a plan unless you have that underlying passion which is sort of also code for belief, right? It's this right. idea that if you can build it, you can dream it, you can, uh, you, you can realize it. And so, yeah, believe actually was born out of a moment for me in the second year of IGEL. I had come, I flew to Germany with a whole plan to build a user conference uh, because I had felt, hey, as a tech company and with a great following, we need to have uh, our own user conference. And uh, it would be a great opportunity to sort of showcase the company. So I came with this proposal and uh, I was in a room with 15 of the leaders of the company around the room after I finished this presentation and everybody looked at me incredulously. They basically, they had, they had no faith that we could pull off an event like this in Northern Germany, which was a too hot plane ride to get to freezing cold in the middle of January. And I said, no, you have to believe, right? It's this Henry Ford quote. I'm sure you've heard of it, Chuck. Like either you believe you can or you believe you can't. Either way, you're right. right. And so I basically left that room somewhat demoralized. But I also, I feed on when people tell me you can't do something, it usually <laughs> leads me to the most extraordinary places, right? So 
what ended up happening there was we actually doubled down on the uh on this and we ended up with 500 people in the uh in the auditorium sold out five hotels sold out and uh it was a moment of revelation for the entire you know company as we realized yeah we actually can do this well the interesting part jed is the observation of some of your colleagues there is a quote where one of them was had stated when jed entered the stage you can regard this as a turning point in agile's history it was a defining moment for the future energy that we bring what I loved about the way you believed is you talked in one of your interviews about, and you used your office in San Francisco as a metaphor for how you view yourselves and how you view your company. And you used it as a metaphor for humility. Can you describe your office, what you are in the shadow of, and why this actually matters to your culture? Yeah, well, um, before I uh, took the CEO role, one of my responsibilities was the CMO globally for IGEL. And so part of, you know, being a C good CMO was, hey, what's the origin story of IGEL? And trying to understand how did this company, you know, start and what's the founding, you know, components of it. And what that led me to was two attics in Germany. You know, so windowless sort of, you know, tight spaces. Um, and then I realized, uh, after the fact that that was also where I started in San Francisco was in a windowless attic in the top of a building. That building happened to be on a very special block, um, you know, surrounded by some of the most legendary tech companies in the world, LinkedIn and Slack. And of course, in the shadow of this gleaming new uh, building that's the tallest on the West Coast where Salesforce um, now resides, right? And so, Yes, in the video, which I hope everyone in your audience comes to our website and watches, it's a really, uh, really fun 20 minute video, but, it, you know, it, we kind of juxtapose this very humble, scrappy, you know, uh, three story building that's literally in the shadows of this uh, massive beacon to the so software world. Um, but, you know, for us, it's been awesome, right? It's, it sort of embodies the spirit of, of what we're doing building a great company um, that's durable and yeah we're maybe not flashy and in a you know a, a huge building over overspending we're you know one thing we are really proud about is we've been profitable uh even though we've you know doubled the size of the company in the last four years and doubled the revenue we've done it um profitably right and so that's obviously kind of a rare thing in um, today's world um as people think about taking market share and growing sometimes there's different theories on how you should do that um, and and how, how do you, this is still the personal side of running your company, you have to keep that humility, the vulnerability. How do you do that day-to-day -day under the enormous pressure of getting the results? Well, I mean, I've always found that uh, sort of empowering people and, uh, you know, the sort of idea of management by walking around and being accessible and having an open door and having the ability for any one of those 450 employees to be able to text me or call me or email me and be able to sort of have that empathy for uh, you know, who, who they are, what they're doing, the unique you know, things that, that they bring to the table. I think that that's kind of key to this whole thing, right? You're on this entrepreneurial journey. And sometimes what's amazing about a company of this size is that you know, we do move fast and we do allow people to do things that maybe they wouldn't be able to do in a company with 32,000 people or 60,000 people, right? And so for a lot of people, that's very inspiring, right? And so. I think that's probably the most important thing for me as a leader is um, 
you know, um, really uh, helping people feel like they are empowered, um, having empathy for the challenges they have, trying to invest in them and knock down hurdles, um, but being someone that's approachable and is coming from a good place. And that's part of one of our values, right? This idea of the servant heart. Um, and and as, a, as a leader, I think there's a lot of words that buzz around about servant leadership or what have you. Our iteration of that is servant heart, right? And it's this idea that it's not reserved just for leaders. It actually, if, you, if everyone in the company can adopt this idea of, hey, we're here to serve each other, serve our partners and serve our customers. And by the way, it's in that order that we talk about that because you can't take care of each other and uh, then you probably can't take care of your partners and you're certainly not gonna take care of your customers. So it, it seems a little funny to sort of say, we take care of each other first, but that's sort of like your family, right? You always take care of them. They're the most important component. And so that's led to some extraordinary things, right? Where people uh, come into the company and they're like, I can't believe this. I can't. This thing, if I have this right, is we believe in each other. And, and while that may sound trite to others, if you actually live that, you live those values, believing in each other means you are helping set them up, not necessarily for failure, but recognition that you're, you're giving them the tools that, what happens if they fail? What do you do about it? Yeah, so obviously I think that's one of the uh, defining moments, right? Because you're, you're always trying to hire the best people and get the best results. And in our culture, we're trying to exceed the number most often time, right? And so, you know, I think that, that it is a defining moment. And I remember a great mentor uh, who told me um, early on in my career, it, it's about helping the people up that are, um, that are failing. So it's like, hey, the guy who missed his number, who mm -hmm. didn't make it, the giving him a call, having the CEO pick the phone up and call him and have a real empathetic conversation, asking him, Hey, you know, what's going on in your life personally? What, uh, what things could we be doing differently to help you? Where could we invest? Those are the things that build loyalty. Right. And then yeah. instead of taking a beating, uh, or being ignored or being sort of shipped out that you usually can sort of like, uh, channel a spirit, um, that, that bring that, pulls people up versus beating them down. And so that was something that I've always like held dearly, right? Is this idea that, you know, it's not the people that are going to president's club that probably need the phone call. It's the ones that, um, you know, are on the, on the, uh, on the other end of that spectrum. And no, one other thing someone told me uh, early in my career is that no one, you know, gets up and puts on their clothes and gets ready to go to work just to, to fail, right? Like you have to believe that everybody, everybody wants to win. Right. And so um, everyone comes to an organization with a different skill set. You have to try to figure out what, you know, how to um, lift them up so that that skill and that passion can shine, shine through. Right. Um, yeah. And just believing that no one, no one wants to, you know, come to, into, into an organization to fail. Yeah, indeed. Well, it's us. thousands of our listeners, many of them are aspiring. Maybe one day they'll climb to the top to be CEO or whatever it is that they dream about doing. There are a lot. So let's examine that for just a moment. What do you want the millennials and the people listening to you, what do you want them to think about the prospects for their success? Well, I think the very most important thing is uh, you have to be able to um, believe that you can do something, right? And, and a lot of people will tell you, oh, that's impossible or you can't do that, right? And I think that's something you have to strike from your, 
you know, psychological kind of makeup, right? When you think about people that are successful in changing the world, they're usually the people that are the outliers that, you know, went against everything, right? So I think that's one of the most important things is that you have to believe uh, that, that, that things are possible. And we, we live in an era where th things that, you know, weren't possible you know before are much more attainable right just the amount of technology and the uh, access to the technology and the access to resources around the world are like no other time we've ever lived through right so um you know the, this is where i think you know if you have ambition uh you know and you can dream up something uh there's a lot lot of talent in the world um and a lot of ways to reach it so you have to speak it into existence as, as one of my uh, great inside sales people always says to me when she's chasing a big order right it's like you have to have the ability to visualize where you want to go and uh oh. you know i think that served me and very well in my life right whether it was you know hey i wanted to get a job as a 15 year old to buy a car visualizing okay how do i do that and then building a plan to, to figure out how to actually activate on that. Um, but probably the most important thing is nothing's impossible, right? And when people tell you that, stop them in their tracks, right? Um, <laughs> this I is think that from, from an organization whose part of your mantra is making, making possible seemingly the impossible. Right, right. And I think... I, I'm even guilty of it at times and people call me out on it, right? They're like, hey, you're the guy who said that, you know, nothing's impossible. So, you know, we should be able to figure out how to remodel this slide deck, you know, in, into 30 minutes or whatever it is, right? Uh, and someone so, tells you that's not possible and you say, okay, let's figure out how to make it possible. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it can be from the mundane like that to the most audacious, right? Uh, of like, let's, you know, ch change the world and, you know, beat the biggest tech companies in the world uh, at, at something. So yeah, I think, but the, the it's mindset for me, that's the most important thing, right? And uh, it, it's very uh, validating. And I actually have a slide, a, a slide that I created on my wall in my office, which I haven't been able to visit lately, but it has one word on it. It's the F word, fluke. And uh, a lot of people tell me, you know, oh, what you're doing, this is a fluke. It's not, you know, sustainable. Okay, well, we did it for a year, two years, three years, four years. How long uh, is this going to be a fluke, right? But that to me is something that sustains me, right? Like I, I'm out to prove this is not a fluke, right? Um, <laughs> well, I, I want to conclude the, the, the show, Jed, with a quote from a motivational speaker, a leadership um, guy out there named Mac Anderson. And he wrote a book called The 212, The Extra Degree. He talked about at 211, water is hot. At 212, it boils. And when the water boils, you can do a lot more with it, like great steam, which powers an engine. But something he said reminds me of you, of you guys at iGel. And he said, and I quote, the only thing that stands between a person and what they want in life is the will to try it and the faith to believe it's possible. And he went on to say, belief fuels enthusiasm and enthusiasm explodes into passion. It fires our souls and lifts our spirits. And so welcome and thank you for joining us on A Climb to the Top. Jed, it has been a real pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And I guess I just want to extend this sort of powerful word to all of your uh, listeners out there. Uh, if they'd like one of these shirts that have this powerful word on it, we'd love to send you one. We're overnighting these. And this is obviously a time with uh, COVID-19 that we're fighting this uh, battle and trying to stay optimistic. and 
So one of the ways IGEL is participating in that is we've been sending hundreds of these shirts around the world to people and uh, you know they've been wearing them and uh, we've, we've kind of started a movement around you know believing in each other, believing in the sort of brighter future that comes out of this and the innovation intellect that will carry the day. So and the, the uh, go website you can go to to order this? Yeah, igel.com slash believe. And we'll, we'll send you uh, one of these shirts. We'd love to uh, have you be part of this sort of mo moment of hope and optimism and certainly uh, hopefully feel your own personal journey wherever that might be taking you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.